You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. What does it mean to put our hope in a God we can't see? What does it mean to walk the walk of faith? This is our sermon series, Water and Blood, Finding Rest in Jesus, Our High Priest. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Hebrews 11, 1 through 2, 13 through 16, and 39 through 40. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. All these people died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had the opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be so that they would not be made perfect without us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Even now. In Jesus' name. Amen. This week, two former NBA players, champions, Hall of Famers, had a hot take. And the hot take that they had was that they said that they believed that if you end your NBA basketball career without a championship, then you should not be inducted into the Hall of Fame. They said, if you don't reach your ultimate goal of being a champion, you are not Hall of Fame worthy. And the reason that this is a hot take for me is, is twofold. One, uh, both players teamed up to create one of the first super teams in the NBA to win a championship. They left their teams, joined together a super team, and they got one championship. The second reason that this is a hot take is because it leaves out so many great basketball players. Damian Lillard, for example, plays for the Portland Trailblazers, scored 71 points two weeks ago, is a great basketball player, but he's committed to playing in Portland. And the way things are going, he probably will retire without a ring. But even as great as he is, he won't be able to make it into the Hall of Fame, according to them. Or think about Patrick Ewing, Charles Barkley, or one of my personal favorites, Allen Iverson. No Hall of Fame for you. Now, the thing is, as I was reading Hebrews chapter 11, and as we're going through a chapter that is often referred to as the Hall of Faith, I began to look through this chapter and the question uh, just stayed with me, is what does a person have to do to make it to the Hall of Faith? Here, the author is going to list all of these great men and women, some people who are going to remain unknown. And so the first thing I looked at to say, well, what championship did they win? But what was interesting is, is as I read the text, I realized that 
they all had a number of things in common. And one thing that they had in common is that the Bible says that they did not obtain their ultimate goal. They did not, while they were living, reach their ultimate reward, which got me to thinking, what did they do? What did they accomplish to allow them to be in the hall of faith? And as I read this text over and over and prayed about it, three things stuck out. Y'all want to hear the three things? We'll we'll start with the first one. The first is, in order to make the hall of faith, you have to have, drumroll somebody, faith. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. As we're talking about the hall of faith and these things, some of you are like, why does this even matter? Well, the reason that it matters to me is because I want to be a part of a church and a community where members of our church, not just members, our whole church can make it into the hall of faith. And you may be saying, that doesn't impress me because I don't want to be in the hall of faith. You don't understand my life. You don't know what I'm about. I just want to make it in. Amen. I just want to be like David. David said, better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. If I'm in heaven opening the door for everybody, I'm happy, right? You're like, I can care less about the hall of faith. But here's the thing I want you to know as we look through this text. I believe that every single person who is in Christ Jesus can make it. I believe that the Lord, in fact, is calling us all to strive not just to be a a, a doorkeeper, so to speak, in eternity, but to be a son and a, a daughter. To be able to experience all that God has for us in the afterlife. And the way in which you get there is first by having faith. Look at verse one. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by our ancestors, for by this, our ancestors were approved. This is why they were approved. This is why they were in this chapter, because they had faith. Now, what is faith? Here, the text says that it is a reality of what is hoped for. The King James Version says that it is the substance of what is hoped for. The ESV Version says it is the assurance of what is hoped for. At the end of the day, when we talk about faith, we're saying that faith is a God-given conviction for all that we hope for in Christ Jesus. I'll say that again. Faith is a God-given conviction for all that we hope for in Christ Jesus. Listen, faith is not an emotion. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not empirical evidence or research that we have obtained. It is a conviction in an unseen God and in his future reality. But the text also tells us that not only is it a conviction not only is it, a, is it substantive, not only is it assurance, but faith is a necessity. It's not a luxury. It's not a, a, a spare tire. It is the steering wheel. It is the engine. In fact, Paul teaches us in Ephesians chapter 2 that it's one of two hinges by which our relationship with God swings. We are saved by grace through faith. And this is what the text tells us here in verse 6. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who who seek him. You want to be in the hall of faith? And you can be in the hall of faith. You need faith. 
My family and I recently went to see a 3D movie together. And 3D movie is, is, uh, is obviously amazing. It's a fun experience. And, and if you've ever went to watch a 3D movie, movie, you know that when you go into the theater, they give you a pair of 3D glasses. And the reason they give you the pair of 3D glasses is because they want you to experience with the producers, with the writers, with the, the theater company wants you to experience a different dimension than normal. And without putting on those glasses, as you look at the screen, things look distorted. Things seem off. In fact, uh, things may not make sense to you. But when you put on those glasses, what is distorted, what doesn't make sense begins to make sense to you because those glasses allow you to see a different reality. Faith is the 3D glasses that God has given his people to move them from a distorted reality, from a reality of hopelessness, a reality of sin, a reality of nihilism, a reality of constant cynicism, to seeing a God who created the world with a purpose and for a purpose, to seeing his reality, a reality that says everything is going to go to my expected end. A reality says, I created you in my image and for my glory. A reality says that I am able to give you hope when you feel hopeless, strength when you feel weak, peace when you feel anxious. A reality that says that in Christ you are my beloved, and what is true of him is true of you always, no matter how you feel and no matter what you've done. And God is calling some of us this morning, pressing us to put on those faith glasses, to remember that the Christian life, we walk by faith and not by sight. That to believe in Christ is to live with this perspective that says, I don't see it all. I don't know it all. I don't have it all figured out. It don't feel good, but I am going to stand on the promises of God and I am going to put my faith in a very particular object. And that object is not my job. It's not my career. It's not me parenting well. It's not my grades. It's not me making money. It's not me feeling like I belong. That object of my faith is Jesus. It's a conviction, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, that Jesus is the divine son of God and the final word of salvation. That's where my faith is. And all other ground is sinking sand. And not only is my faith in who he is, my faith is in what he promised. He promised that he is preparing a better place for me, that he has a better resurrection that he has a future city, that this is not it. But not only do you need faith to make it into the hall of faith. Second, if you're going to make it into the hall of faith, you know what you need? You need a faith that obeys, a faith that works. See, what we learn in this text is that faith has feet. Faith has feet. Faith isn't emotion. It isn't a feeling. It isn't an intellectual assent. It is a conviction in a God who is faithful and who has spoken and a God who has promised. And that conviction that we have through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we look back over our life and our time in Christ, actually has some works. As James says, for faith without works is... Oh, y'all ain't had y'all coffee yet. Faith without works is... Oh, we got to bring Sunday school back. I said faith without works is? Dead. All right. Dead. And yes, we should do something like that. Amen. We're working on it. <laughs> Look at the text. 
all of these people who are mentioned, starting with Abel, and this is what the writer is doing. He's starting with Abel, and he's going to go through Israel's history uh, through the patriarchs and the matriarchs, through uh, 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 the, the prophets and through the priests and, 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 and through David and the kings. He's going to show how they all had a faith, but how that faith works. For example, verse four, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. Saving faith makes a sacrifice. Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. If you know the story of Enoch, it's a short story, and it just says that he walks with God. Faith is relational. It walks with God. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. Faith builds for God. Because it's confident in what God has said, even amid a culture in a time where other people make fun of you for doing it. By faith, Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, receives power to conceive offspring. Faith believes that God can birth out of us things that don't make sense. And that he uses people, ordinary people, people who have even given up hope on themselves to do extraordinary things. Over and over in the story, we see that faith has feet. It works. Like Abel, faith has us as believers saying to God, here is my best offering. Here is my best sacrifice. I don't want to give you the leftovers. I want to give you the very best that I can through the ability that you have given me. Like Enoch, it says, I want to walk with you. I want to know you. I don't want to go through religious motions that, that become meaningful. I, I, I want to experience your presence. Sometimes I want to wake up early just to sit with you, just to be with you. I want to learn more about you. I want to know your power and your resurrection. I want to be conformed into the image of God to become a person of peace and, and love and joy and long-suffering. So I'm going to abide in you, trusting your word that you can do in me what I cannot do in myself. Like Noah faith steps out and hears the call of God and says, I'm going to create, I'm going to move forward, even though it doesn't make sense to other people. I'm going to move forward, even though I may be mocked. I'm going to move forward, even though the culture may call me foolish and make fun of me because I have heard from the Lord. And so what? It didn't rain. I'm going to persevere wood piece by wood piece. I'm going to bring uh, those animals in two by two because God has given me the ability and he has given me a call. And let me just pause to say here, I believe even in this room right now, God is calling someone to step out on faith wisely in community, but to create, to use your gifts, to stir up what he has in you, to not let fear and timidity keep you where you are. And to do it for his glory. Like Abraham, faith obeys and says, I'm leaving home. I don't know quite where I'm going, but God said he has a promised land for me and we're going to go. And God is calling some of us to go to the nations by faith. You know that he's called you to go to a people group. 
that he laid on your heart. But fear is keeping you back by faith. God is saying, go. And maybe it's not the nations, it's it's your neighborhood. It's that neighbor that's right next door to you who you can see is despondent or depressed or with apathy, living for something that will not please them, will not build them up. God is saying, knock on that door, introduce yourself, and bring some gluten-free cookies with you (laughs) by faith. By faith. By faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. What I love about this chapter is that those who were obedient here came in a, a variety. They were, there were so many different types of people. For example, as I, I read this passage, I'm just blown away at the way that God used seasoned saints. He mentions all types of things. But look at verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. That's amazing to me. That here you have a chapter that seems to be extraordinary things being done, but when you read it closer, you see that God is excited and happy about things that seem to be pretty ordinary. That God used seasoned saints to do extraordinary things. It took faith for Jacob as he was blind to bless his sons. It took faith for Joseph to worship, leaning on a staff, blessing the next generation. It took faith for Sarah to give birth to a child as she was entering into the century mark. And if you are here today and you are on that last 25 years, the last maybe 10 years of your expected life, and who knows, you may go on and live and be like, who was it, Meshivifest or whatever his name was. But if you're at the end of your life, here's the thing. Don't doubt that the thing that God will be most proudest of you, could be what he uses you to do as you are dying. And what God is looking for, for seasoned saints and those who are older, is for you to bless those who are younger. What if God's call for you is simply to be a blessing, to be an encouragement? This next generation needs to hear your story. And I'm not talking about the the edited version of your story where where God is just always good all the time. And he is always good all, all the time. But sometimes they need to hear your mess ups, your failures, your pain, your mistakes, your sin. And to hear that God was faithful through it all, that he is a keeper, that he'll keep you when you don't want to be kept. That he'll watch over you when you don't think that you need to be watched over. That he'll use you in the ordinary moments of your life. God is calling somebody here today to lean and to bless. Even though you feel weak. Even though you feel like your time of significance has passed, God says, in Christ, you are always significant. You always have something to contribute. You always have something to give. And I'll take that five loaves and two fish that you have, and I'll multiply it in ways that you can't take credit for. 
Not only were there a variety of people in sin, that there were seasoned saints who God used and who most powerful uh, testimony happened at the end of their life, but you also see that it's men and women that is in this list. It's not just men, and that's huge even in a patriarchal society back then, but it's, it's women. God is highlighting Sarah. He's highlighting Rahab. He's highlighting women who received back their dead by faith. And not only is it older people, not only is it women, but I, I just marvel at that there's younger people here. God highlights Moses when he first left Egypt. And why he left Egypt? He left Egypt because he did not want to be marred by the injustice of Pharaoh's household. He saw the people of God suffering. He gave up wealth. He gave up privilege. He gave up fame. And he went into the wilderness so that he can be accounted amongst God's people who was faithful. At a young age. And even though he's not listed, we can think about Daniel at a young age, 16 years old, standing up to Babylon and saying, listen, I cannot eat from the king's table. We can think about Jeremiah, who was called in his youth. Young people, young people, God is calling you to live by faith. God is calling you to to experience his joy, experience his life, experience the resurrecting power of God by being faithful in the small things, by showing up at school as a faithful presence if you've been baptized, saying, I am God's child. I think different. I move different. I am different. And if you want to celebrate different, celebrate that, that I'm different and I'm okay with it. variety of people are listed. Some of us in here, we're discouraged because we're like, man, Pastor Jamal, I hear you, but as I think about this, everybody has strength. Everybody had it together. I want to be in a hall of faith, but I don't have it together. If you knew my past, if you knew my thoughts, if you knew my sin, if you knew my struggles, if you knew how close I was to give up, you you would close the door on a hall of faith on me. And I just want to stop by to say, read a little closer And you'll see that the people who are in the hall of faith all had some baggage, all but Enoch. And that's just because Moses was tired when he was writing Enoch's story. He's like, you know what, Enoch, he just walked with God, right? He's like, that's all I got today. Hey, man, I'm going to sleep. Every single person in the hall of faith was sinners. Abraham lied. Oh, that ain't my wife. That's my sister. Mm Mm-hmm. David failed miserably as the king. Everyone knew his stuff. Everyone knew his sin. Samson, oh my goodness, you read this list and you're like, Samson made it? Maybe I can't make it, right? Samson just was like going cray cray and he made it. And what is this saying? That people who are imperfect made it, it shows us the very heart of God, that what God is calling us to is obedience, but that obedience is not perfection. And that faith is not having it all together. Faith is not perfection. Faith is living a life of repentance. It's trusting that God will not give up on a person who has a broken spirit and a contrite heart. 
is trusting that what defines us is not our sin, is not our failure, is not how we fall short, but what defines us is us turning to God and crying out to him, asking for mercy, knowing that he is faithful to throw our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. It's trusting that God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. It's trusting in the righteousness of his son, your great high priest, who died and rose and who is seated in the heavenly places, interceding for you. God doesn't need perfect people. He needs a people who trust that they have been purchased and who get up in the morning saying, great is your faithfulness. There are new mercies every single day. Jesus is faithful. And what's true of him is true of me. Every day, all day, every day. You can make it in the hall of faith. You can make it. Not only to make it to the hall of faith do you need faith, but your faith needs to have feet. Faith must have feet. And then finally, those who are in the hall of faith, as I look at this, are those who persevere to the end. Every single person that is in this list went through heartaches, sometimes found themselves at the rock, at the bottom, sometimes didn't seem like they were being faithful, sometimes were confused, But the thing that each person has that is in this list is that they persevere to the end. Even Samson. Samson blew it. His hair started to grow back. His last act was an act of faith as a warrior of God. And he believed by pushing those columns that God could defeat his enemies. Perseverance. And if we go back to chapter 10, we know that the preacher is writing to people who are weary and worn out. And as a result, they're thinking about going back to the Levitical cult. They're thinking about going back to the Old Testament system of sacrifice. They're tired of being persecuted. They're they're tired of being tired. They're tired of not fitting in. They're tired of of not feeling heard. They're they're tired of the grind. They're tired of the the acts. They're, They're tired of being different. And the reason the author of Hebrews is writing this passage, he's like, yo, I know you're tired, but tiredness is a mark of faithfulness. I know you're weary, but Jesus has called us to trade his burden for our burden. I know you don't feel like you're doing much. I know that you feel like a failure, but in Christ, you are never a failure. Look at all the people who made it. Look at all the types of people who made it. Look at all the things that they went through to make it. I mean, it's quite amazing what happens here in this passage From 32 to to 35, he mentions all of these different people who who conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. And while they were doing it, probably didn't feel like much. But in verse 35, women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might again 
might gain a better resurrection. Others experience mocking and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonments. Verse 37, they were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin, in goatskin, destitute, afflicted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And all these were approved by their faith. It wasn't easy, he's saying, for those that you looked up to and those who came before you. But persevere in faith. Persevere in faith. Persevere in faith. In your loneliness, feeling like God has not provided you the relationships that you need. Persevere in faith. In your parenting, feeling like you are absolutely blowing it and you don't know what you're doing. Keep looking to Jesus. Put one foot in front of the other. Remember that he has called you to raise up arrows, not art pieces. Persevere in faith. To the person who feels like they're at a dead end job and like your life does not matter. Persevere in faith. To the person who is struggling with a a crippling disease that feels like it cuts your life and your enjoyment of life in half, know that Jesus sympathizes with you in in your weakness. He knows what it's like to feel the crippling effects of pain and chronic heartbeat. Persevere in faith. For the person that had a goal that was not reached and, and, and it feels like everyone is looking at you as a failure because that assignment was incomplete. No, that God loves you. Stay in Christ. You are complete. Persevere in faith. In the day-to-day, in the grind, with the disability, trusting in his ability. Persevere in faith. If the person is tempted to put it in cruise control, and believe that life is about performing for others. Making everything as comfortable as possible so that you can have control and power of your destiny. Repent of that. Turn to Jesus. Run to him and see that Jesus was the most fulfilled person that there was. Even though he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, he experienced the Father's joy by using every ounce of his gifts to leverage them for the marginalized and the broken, the abused and the misused. Reject that lie from Satan. Run to Jesus. Say, all that I have is yours and persevere in faith. Well, how do you do that? How do you persevere in faith? You keep your eyes on Jesus, your great high priest. You abide in him. You meditate on him. You run to his throne of grace knowing that he has so much mercy for you. It's ridiculous. He has so much blessings for you in him that you don't have room enough to receive. That even in the desert, he will be faithful to provide and feed you. He may not come when you want him to, but I'm telling you, he is always on time. He is a bridge over troubled water. He is a wheel in the middle of a way. He is the balm in Gilead. He is faithful. 
He'll give you manna in due time. He'll give you quail in due time. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Persevere in faith. You keep your eyes on Jesus. And lastly, you remember that he has a better place prepared for you. Look at the text. Over and over Verse number 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Verse 13, these all died in faith, although they had not received the championship that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. Verse 15, if they were thinking about where, where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return, but they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Over and over, verse 26, for he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. Verse 35, other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Verse 39, all these were approved through faith, but they did not receive what was promised. Discouragement will discourage you if you believe the lie that all that God has for you is what can be seen now. Jesus said, I go, John 16, 33, to prepare a place for you. That's actually John 14, John 16, 33. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. This isn't the end. We are sojourners. We are exiles. We are passing through. God has a better resurrection, a resurrection where these mortal bodies will become immoral, a resurrection where our minds will work 100% correctly and we won't be given over to depression, a resurrection where cancer and sickle cell does not exist, a resurrection where we don't have to worry about providing for ourselves because in heaven, gold is like concrete. A resurrection where we will finally see him face to face, the one that we pray to, the one that we worship, the one that we sung about, and his glory will make our, our affliction seem light and momentary. All right. Got a confession. The confession is, is that I actually don't believe that this is a hall of faith. I actually believe that this is just the author showing that all of God's people who have been saved and empowered by the Holy Spirit is celebrated by God for their faithfulness. That if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you are in the hall of faith. If your faith at the end of your life is a faith where there is fruit for having, faith, for having feet and making it to the end, you'll be in it. And I've got even better news. 
is that what puts you in that category is not your ability to strive and to do, but it's through you trusting in the righteousness of Christ and abiding in him. He's going to produce that in you. And your story of faithfulness may not be my story. We're created different, got different gifts, different experiences. Your, what faithfulness looks like for the person next to you may not be what God is calling you to do. And what you think is great and what you should be doing to God, it may be what's great for you is just leaning on a staff saying, God is faithful. You can make it to someone. In Christ. The invitation is to trust his righteousness and to abide in him, knowing that he will, he will produce fruit in you. So, mama, you get up and you just keep preaching Jesus. So, sis, you just keep being faithful, waiting on God, allowing him to write your story. So, fam, you just be faithful with the next day and see what God is up to and will produce. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus so that your name can be written in the Lamb's book of life. And what that requires simply is faith. Salvation is by grace, not your works. It's faith in Jesus. Today, God can give you a new set of glasses. He can take you from a vision that is distorted, believing that life revolves around us and our ability to a vision that says, no, life is about Jesus. It's about resting in him. It's about his righteousness and his glory. It's about being his vessel. It's about his faithfulness. Even when I'm faithless, turn from your sins Turn for living your life for your own advantage to living for Jesus, who is faithful and who like loves love you, who is pleased with you in him, who sings over you, who is proud of you, who sees the struggle to just get up in the morning, who who sees your wrestling with whether or not to give up. Keep your eyes on your great high priest. Worship him and know that he is celebrating you in him. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit Sojourn Church dot com slash midtown.